pistols began to crack, slashing through the merry den of the crowd. Then there was a shrill female scream, and the machine gun rattled. The chubby innkeeper snatched a small gun from under the counter and ran to the entrance of the tent. Leaving his train, Artyom leapt up after him, drawing his rucksack on his shoulder, thumbing, and say, thumbing the safety catch on his gun, regretting as he went the day had made him pay in advance. Otherwise, he would have slipped away without settling his bill. The 18 cartridges he had spent could prove very useful one day soon. At the top of the stairs, he could see that something terrible was happening. To get down there, he had to push through the crowd of people who had lost their senses out of fear and who were throwing themselves up the stairs. Soon the crush was so bad that Artyom asked himself whether he really needed to get down there, but his curiosity pushed him forward. On the pathway lay several prostate bodies, clad in leather jackets, and on the platform, right under his feet, in a puddle of bright red blood lay a dead woman face down. He quickly stepped over her, trying not to look down, but he slipped and almost fell. Panic reigned and half-dressed people were jumping out of their tents, hysterically looking around. One of them was left behind his foot still stuck in one leg of his trousers when he suddenly bent over, clutched his stomach, and tipped over to the side. The Artyom couldn't figure out where the shooting was coming from. The firing continued, and heavy set people in leather were running from the other side of the hall throwing squealing women and frightened traitors out of the way, but these weren't the ones being attacked. It was the bandits themselves, the ones who controlled this side of Katai Garad, and along the whole platform it wasn't clear who was creating this slaughterhouse. Then Artyom understood why he didn't see anyone. The attackers were in the tunnel, and they were opening fire from there. Apparently afraid to show themselves in open space. This changed things. There was no more time to reflect. They would come out into the platform, onto the platform, when they felt the 
there was no more resistance. He had to get away from that entrance as soon as possible. Ardium ran forward, tightly gripping his machine gun and looking over his shoulder. The echo of the thundering shots resounding through the arches made it difficult to tell from which tunnel the shots were coming, the right or the left. Finally, he noticed camouflaged figures in the opening of the left side tunnel. Instead of faces, there were was blackness, and Ardium felt a chill inside. Only after a few minutes did he remember that the Dark Ones, who had encroached on PDNKH, never carried weapons and weren't dressed in cloth clothes. The attackers were just wearing masks. Dark cloth. The Bellaclavis of, of the kind you could buy at any arms market. Bellaclavis cards of any kind that you could buy at any arms market would even give you, uh, they would even give you one for free when you bought and AK-47. The Kaluga reinforcements had also arrived and were on the ground, hiding behind the corpses, returning fire. You could still see how they smashed the plywood boards mounted on the wagon windows, breaking open hidden machine gun positions. Heavy fire thunder. Looking up, Artyom managed to get a glimpse of the plastic table that showed the stations and hung in the middle of the hall. They were attacking from the direction of Tretyakovskaya, so this route was cut off. To get to Taganskaya, he'd have to go to a part of the station that was now on fire. The only route left to him was Kuznetsky. Most. Jumping onto the path, Artyom headed for the blackened entrance to the to the one tunnel he could get into. He couldn't see Khan or Ace anywhere. He thought he saw a figure who reminded him of the wandering philosopher, but when he stopped for a moment, Artyom realized he was mistaken. He wasn't the only one running into the into the tunnel. Almost half of those escaping were heading that way as well. The passage was ringing the frightening cries. One person was sobbing hysterically. The lights of 
torches shining here and there, and there was even the uneven flickering of a few fire torches. Each person was lighting the path for himself. Artyom took Khan's present out of his pocket and pressed the handle. After directing the weak light of the torch to the path under his feet, trying not to trip, he rushed forward, catching up to a small group of fugitives. Sometimes whole families, sometimes lone women, old men, and young, healthy men who were dragging parcels that probably didn't belong to them. He, he stooped, well, he stopped a couple of times to help someone who'd fallen. He lingered with one of them for a moment, leaning against the rib wall of the tunnel. Sat an old man, totally gray, with a painful grimace on his face, clutching his heart. Next to him stood an adolescent boy who was looking serenely and dull. From his animal looks and his turbid eyes, he could see that this was an unusual child. Something squeezed Artyom's soul, and when he saw this strange pair, even though he was pressing himself forward and cursing himself when he met obstacles, he stopped. The old man, feeling the attention that was being focused on him and the boy, tried to smile at Artyom and to say something, but he didn't have the breath for it. He frowned and closed his eyes, gathering his strength. And Artyom bent over the old man, trying to hear what he was trying to tell him. But the boy suddenly started to bellow threateningly, and Artyom noticed that there was a thread of spit coming from his mouth, that he was bare-faring his small yellow teeth, not wanting to deal with any attack. Artyom paused himself aside, or uh, Artyom pushed him, 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 Artyom pushed him aside, and the boy moved back and settled clumsily onto the rails, assuming plaintive howls. Young man, the old man struggled. Don't. E. That's the Nichka. He doesn't understand. Artyom just shrugged. Please. Nitro. Glycerin. In the bag. At the bottom. One pill. Give it to me. I can't myself. The old man wheezed horribly and Artyom dug into the bag, 
quickly finding a new looking package and he cut through the foil with a fingernail. The pill jumped out and he gave it to the old man who extended his lips into a guilty smile and said, I can't. My hands don't listen to me under my tongue. Then his eyelids closed again. Hardium looked at his black hands in doubt, but he obeyed and put the slippery little ball in the old man's mouth. The stranger nodded weakly and said nothing. More and more fugitives were striding past him, past him hurriedly. But Artyom could only see an endless row of dirty boots and shoes. Sometimes they stumbled on the black wood of the cross ties, and then there was an outburst of swearing. No one paid attention to the three of them. The teenager was sitting in the same place and was quietly mumbling. Artyom noticed that Artyom noticed with some indifference and even a little smugness that one of the passerby kicked him hard and the boy started to howl even more loudly, smearing his tears with his fist and swaying from side to side. Meanwhile, the old man opened his eyes sighed heavily and muttered, Thank you very much. I feel better already. Will you help me to get up? Hardyan supported him by the arm while the man rose with effort. He picked up the old man's bag, which meant he had to put his machine gun over the other shoulder. The old man began to hobble forward and went to the boy and started encouraging him to get up. The boy bellowed, offended, but when he saw Artyom come up to them, he started to hiss maliciously and spittle again, dripping from his protruding lower lip. You see, I just brought the medicine the old man. I just bought the medicine, the old man said. Indeed, I came here especially for it, to this faraway place, you know? You can't get it where we live. No one brings it in. There's no one to ask for it. And I have just finished my supply. I took the last tablet on the way here, and when they didn't want to let us through Pushkinskaya, there are fascists there now, you know. It's just a disgrace to think that at Pushkinskaya, there are fascists. I heard that they even want to rename it. 
either to Hitler Skaya or to Skiller of Skaya. Though, of course, they haven't even heard of Schiller, and imagine they didn't want to let us through. Those swaggering fellows with their swastikas started to tease the next guy. And what could he answer the poor boy in his condition? I was very worried. My heart went bad. And only then did they let us out. What was I, what was I saying? Oh yes. And you see, I especially put them deep into my bag in case anyone searched us. They would ask, they would have asked questions, and you know that they could get the wrong idea. Not everyone knows what kind of medicine this is. And suddenly, there's all this firing. I ran off as fast as I could. I even had to drag Venexka. Because he had seen some chickens on sticks, and he really didn't want to go. And to start off with, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't squeezing so hard. I thought maybe it would go away, and I don't have to get out the medicine. It's, of course, worth its weight gold, but then I understood that I wouldn't manage, and as I reached for a tablet, it got me, and Vinichka, he doesn't understand a thing, I've been trying to teach him for a long time to give me tablets, if I don't feel well. But he just can't understand it. And he either eats them himself, or he gets the wrong thing out of the bag and gives it to me. I tell him thank you, smile, and he smiles at me. You know, with such joy, he bellows merrily. God forbid something happens to me. There's no one to take care of him at all. I can't imagine what would become of him. The old man talked and talked, ingratiatingly looking at Artyom's eyes, and Artyom felt very awkward for some reason. Even though the old man was hobbling with all his strength, Artyom thought that they were moving too slowly. Everyone was overtaking them. It looked like they would soon be last. Venechka clumsily walked to the right of the old man holding his hand. His former serene expression had returned to his face. From time to time, he pushed his right hand forward and excitedly gurgled 
pointing at some object that had been thrown away or dropped as the fugitives ran from the station. Sometimes pointing at the darkness that was thickening in front of them. Forgive me, young man, but what's your name? Because we're talking, right? And we haven't even introduced ourselves. Artyom? Nice to meet you. And I'm Mikhail Perfervich. Perfervich. I'm Mikhail Porfirovich. Perfirovich. That's right. They called my father Perfire. Perfury. An uncommon, uncommon, you know, name. And in the Soviet times, he was even questioned by various organizations because at that time, there were other names in fashion. Vladilin and Stalin. And you're from where? VDNKH? Well, me and Vinichka. We're from Parakanaya. I once lived there. The old man smiled, embarrassed. You know, there was a building there. It was such a building so high, right near the metro. But you probably don't remember any buildings, do you? How old are you, if you don't mind? Well, of course that's not important. I had a little flat there, two rooms, on a high floor. And there was such a... And there was such a wonderful view of the city center. The flat wasn't big, but it was very, you know, comfortable. The floors were, of course, oh, like all flats. Then, there was a gas stove. Lord, I'm thinking right now about just how comfortable a gas stove and back then no one cared for them. They all wanted electricity, but they just couldn't get it. As you walked in there was a reproduction of a Tintoretto painting in a pretty gold plate frame. Fuck you. The bed was real. The pillows with sheets that were always clean in a big desk with a lamp and it burned brightly. But most importantly, there were bookshelves to the ceiling. My father left me a big library and I collected them too. Ash, why am I telling you all of this? You probably aren't interested in all of this old man's nonsense. 
And yet still now, you see, I remember, I really miss the things, particularly the desk and the books, and recently, I really miss the bed. You don't know such luxuries here, but we had these wooden beds made, you know, and sometimes we slept right on blankets on we slept right on blankets on the floor. That's nothing. What's important is what's here. He pointed at his chest. What's important is what's going on inside and not outside. The important thing is that what's in the head stays the same and who gives a fig about the conditions. Excuse my French, but you know that bed, it's especially, he didn't shut up for a minute and Art, Artyom listened the whole time with great interest, even though he couldn't at all imagine what it would be like to live in a tall building and what the view would be like and what it would be like to go up in a lift. When Mikhail Perfirovich paused for a little while in order to catch his breath, Artyom decided to use the break to turn the conversation in a useful direction. Somehow he had to get through Pushkinskaya and to make the transfer to Chekhovskaya and from there go to Poles. Are there really real fascists at Pushkinskaya? Yes. What's that you're saying? Fascists? Ah, yes. The old man sighed confusedly. Yes, yes. You know, the skinheads with the armbands, they're just awful. These symbols are hanging at the entrance there and all over the station. You know, they used to mean that you couldn't go there. It's a black figure in a red circle with a red diagram line through it. I thought that they had made some kind of mistake and I asked why they were there. It means that the dark ones can't enter. It's some kind of idiot, idiot, idiosy, idiosy, basically. Artyom turned to him when he heard the words, Dark Ones. He threw a frightening look at Mikhail Perfirovich and asked carefully, Are there Dark Ones there now too? Don't tell me they're, they've reached there too. A carousel of panic turned feverishly in Artyom's head. 
How could it be? He'd only been in the town a week, and the Dark Ones were already attacking Perskinskaya. Had this mission already failed? He hadn't succeeded, hadn't come good. It was all for nothing. No, that couldn't be. There would have been rumors. They would have distorted things, but there still would have been rumors, right? But it might be the end of everything. Mikhail Perfervich cautiously looked at him, and, stepping a little to the side, carefully asked, You, yourself, what ideology do you adhere to? I basically will not. Artyom hesitated. And, and how do you feel about other nationalities, about Caucasians, for example? What do Caucasians have to do with anything? Artyom was puzzled. Generally, I don't know much about nationalities. There used to be the French there, or the Germans, and the Americans, but I guess none of them are left. As for the Caucasians, if I'm honest, I don't really know any, he admitted awkwardly. It's the Caucasians that they call the Dark Ones. Mikhail Perfirovich explained, still trying to figure out if Artyom was lying to land the But Caucasians, if I remember right, are regular people, Artyom said. I saw a few of them here today, completely normal people. Mikhail Perfirovich assured him, completely normal people, but those cutthroats have decided that there's something different about them, and they persecute them. It's simply inhumane. Can you imagine? They have a ceiling there, right over the pathway, fitting with hooks, there was a man hanging from one of them, a real man. Benichka got so, so excited that he started to poke it with his finger to bellow, and then these monsters turned their attention to him. At the sound of his name, the teenager turned and fixed the old man with a long stare. Artyom had the impression that the boy could hear and could even partly understand what the conversation was about. But when his name wasn't repeated, he quickly lost interest in Mikhail Perfirovich and turned his attention to the cross ties. At once, we started talking about nations, and by the looks of it, they really 
worship Germans. It was the Germans, after all, who invented their ideology, and you, of course, know what I'm going to tell you, Mikhail Papirovich added quickly, and Ardium vaguely nodded, even though he didn't actually know. But he didn't want to look like an ignoramus. You know, there's German eagles hanging everywhere. Swastikas, which are self-explanatory. There are various German phrases, quotes from everywhere. No, quotes from Hitler about valor about pride and things in, in that thing. They have parades and marches while we were there. But they, they have parades and marches. While we were there and I was trying to persuade them to stop antagonizing the Nitschka, they were all marching across the platform singing songs. Something about the greatness of the spirit and contempt for death. But generally, you know, the German language was perfectly chosen. German was simply created for such things. I can speak little of it, you see. Here, look. I have something written somewhere. In breaking step, he extracted a dirty notebook from his inside pocket. Wait a second. Put your light here, if you don't mind. Where was it? Ah, here it is. In the yellow circle of light, Ardium saw some jumping Latin letters carefully drawn on a page of the notebook and even thoughtfully surrounded with a frame of drawn fine leaves. Who stirps the sits stirped thy sipping stirring their angzig lip Wissen is your tutting, tutting woman. Artyom could also read Latin letters. He had studied them in some textbooks for school for school children that they dug up at the station library. He looked behind him and he pointed his torch at the notebook again. Of course, he couldn't understand a thing. What is it? He asked, again helping Mikhail Torpirovich along, along and quickly pushing the notebook into the man's pocket, trying to get the Nechka, who was rooted to the spot growling unhappily to move forward. It's a poem, the old man replied, and he seemed a bit offended. The 
deeds in memory of those that perished in war. I, of course, am not planning to translate, but broadly speaking, it means this. You will die. All those close to you will die. Your belongings will disappear. But one thing will cross the centuries. Glorious death in combat. But it comes out so pathetically in Russian, doesn't it? While it just thunders in German. Your token that's in long. It just sends a chill through you. Hmm, yes. He stopped short, apparently ashamed by his outburst. The, the walk, no, they walked on quietly for a time. It seemed silly to Artyom, and it angered him, too, that they were probably the last ones walking Tunnel, and it wasn't clear what was going on behind their backs. And now the guy was stopping to read poetry, but against his will, he was still rolling the last lines of the poem around in his tongue, on his tongue. And for some reason, he suddenly recalled Vitalik with whom he went to the botanic, botanical gardens. Vitalik, the splinter, who the robbers had shot down as they tried to break into the station through the southern tunnel. The tunnel was always considered to be dangerous, therefore they put Vitalik there. He was 18 years old, and Artyom was just coming up to his 16th year. But that evening they agreed to go to Vinyas because there was a weed trader who had brought in some new stuff, some special stuff, and he got it right in the head. The little black hole was right in the middle of his forehead, and the back of his head was blown off. That, that was it. You will die. For some reason, the conversation between his stepfather and Hunter came vividly to mind, particularly when Sukhoi said, and what if there's suddenly nothing there? You die, there's nothing beyond. Nothing, nothing remains. Someone might remember you for a little while after, but not for long. People close, people close to you will die too. Or, how did it go? Artyom really felt a chill now. With Mikhail Porfirovich, finally, no, when Mikhail Porfirovich finally broke the silence, Artyom was actually glad of 
Will you, by any chance, be going the same way as us? Or are you only going to push in sky? Do you intend to go out there? I mean, get off the path. I would really not recommend that you do that, Artie. You can't imagine what goes on there. Maybe you'd like to go with us to Barakadnaya. I would be most happy to talk to you along the way. Artyom again nodded indistinctively and mumbled something non-commutatory. He couldn't just discuss the aims of his journey with the first person he met, even if that person was an inoffensive old man. Mikhail Perfirovich went silent. Went silent having heard nothing to answer to what he'd asked. They walked for quite a long time, more in, in the silence. Everything sounded quiet behind them, too, and Artyom finally relaxed. In the distance, lights were shining, at first weakly, but then brighter and brighter. They were approaching Kuznetskai most. Artyom knew nothing about the local order of things, and he decided to hide his weapon. After wrapping it up in his vest, he pushed it deep into the rope set. 